Amen. Thank you so much. Well, that is so true. Thank God for Jesus. How many of you brought your Bible tonight? Will you hold up the Bible all over the building? And let me ask you to join me, if you will, back in the uh, book of 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 2, page number 321, if you have an old Schofield Bible. And I'm not going to per se just read any, like a text of verses and and uh, bring a message tonight. I more or less just want to jump around in this chapter uh, for just a minute and talk to you a little bit about this man by the name of Eli that is mentioned in this chapter here this evening. If you, uh, while you're finding there, I would really appreciate you praying for the service this Sunday, and let's pray for God's touch and God's presence to be upon our services here. And uh, as I said, let's do our best, bring somebody with us, and then let's most of all pray the Lord will be with us. Amen and to help us in these days, all right? 1 Samuel chapter 2, if you're there, would you, would you say amen? amen? All right, let's pray together, and we're just going to jump right into this tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the songs and the music tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to be in church, and Lord, here's a good crowd of people on a Wednesday night, and thank you for each one that's here and those listening and watching by way of internet or live stream or radio, and I pray that you'd bless the message now, bless the Word of God. Lord, that's not my word, it's your word. And Lord, you didn't promise to honor me, but you did promise to honor your word. And I pray you would, and just help us tonight as we look at this text. And the Lord, more importantly, I guess, help us tonight as we look at this subject that uh, you put upon my heart. Teach us something from the Bible. Help our parents, our young parents that are in this room tonight. God, please. And uh, all of us, we need help. And I pray you touch us tonight. And God, may we learn from the tragedy of one man's life. God, may we learn from that, glean some truths so that we don't repeat the same bad things that he did in his life which led to the downfall of his family. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. If you've been with us recently in our Wednesday evening services, then you may recall that we are making our way through the life of one of Israel's greatest but often overlooked leaders, a man by the name of Samuel. Samuel was a judge, and although he wasn't a king, like maybe say somebody like King David, he nevertheless was a, a leader, a godly leader, who led the people of God during very dark and very turbulent days. And after spending several weeks looking at the story of Samuel before there was a Samuel, last week we kind of got our first glimpse into the life of this young man by the name of Samuel. Very, very young man. At such a young and a tender age, his mama has taken him up to the house of the Lord there in Shiloh. And there, at a, at a very young and a tender age, Samuel is ministering unto the Lord before Eli. Now, once again, at a very early age, he was limited in what he could do. I said last week, I don't think Samuel was old enough at this time to offer up sacrifices and, and or maybe take care of things of that nature, but there were things that Samuel could do uh, in the house of the Lord, and whatever he did, he did it unto the Lord. Now, I don't know all that Samuel did. Maybe he was in charge of sweeping the floors or maybe taking out the trash. I'm not sure everything that Samuel did while he was there at a young age working in the house of God, but we are told at least one thing that Samuel was responsible for as he labored in the house of God. If you look over in chapter number 3 once again in about verse 15, we find that Samuel's, one of his responsibilities was to open the doors of the house of the Lord. 
So they placed him at a very young and a tender age. They gave him the responsibilities of opening up the house of the Lord so that people could come in and worship the Lord. So I guess we could maybe say that Samuel was the doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Now that automatically reminds me of a verse in our Old Testament that goes something like this right here. The Bible said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. You know, that seems pretty much to be the testimony of this young man by the name of Samuel. I think Samuel would say, hey, I'd rather open and close the doors of the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And then as we begin to move through the opening saga, the opening scene of his, of his story, we became acquainted with this priest by the name of Eli and his two boys. Now, normally when we think of the house of God, we think of a place, uh, you know, that's a good place. We think of a place of refuge, a place of peace, a place we can kind of come and exhale from all the difficulties of life. We think of the house of God as being a place to come and you're pretty safe when you get here and, and uh, you know, you can kind of just, just take it easy a little bit and have your mind refreshed and, and uh, rejuvenated by the presence of the Lord. We think of the house of God as being a place, uh, you know, that's free from all the things that we run into from the everyday hustle and bustle of life. I'm talking about the wickedness and the ungodliness. We think of the house of God as being a place where stuff like that, you know, the dirty words and, and the immorality and all the ungodliness, that's a place, you know, we think of this as being pretty much a, a free zone from all of that. But, boy... Did we find out last week that not, not, that not all was well in the house of God in Samuel's day? Well, I'll tell you what, not by a long shot because we read about these boys by the name of Eli and we read that they were very wicked and they were very ungodly boys. And right there in the middle of all that, all that wickedness that was going on, Hannah, the mother of Samuel, had taken that little boy up there and left him in the midst of that very ungodly, worldly, wicked environment. Now, maybe you're thinking about how in the world could a mama, knowing everything that's going on, and I think we kind of gather from chapter 2 that it was pretty well known, uh, well known throughout all the land of Israel what them boys were doing at the house of God. How in the world could a mama take her boy up there and just drop him off? But you have to remember, she's given this boy to the Lord. That boy, Samuel, belongs to God. How in the world can you and I turn our children loose out here in this world? I mean, how can you drop your kids off at school every morning? Or how can you let your kids go away to college? Or how can you let your kids leave your home? Well, if you've given them to the Lord, we just got to realize when we can't see them, God can. And when we can't protect them, God will. And the Bible said that she took him up there and there that little boy is living in the midst of all of that wicked environment. But I told you last week as I closed the message, Samuel, at a very young and a tender age, proves two things for us as we look at his life. Number one, he proves to us that you can still live for God even in the midst of a very bad 
environment. You know, a lot of people say, man, I can't live for God, not, not where I work at. I really can't live for God uh, where I work at, or I can't live for God in the, in the home that I've been raised in. I can't live for God being married to the man that I'm married to or being married to the woman that I'm married to. Or maybe a young person says, you know, I can't live for God with a mom and daddy like I got. But Samuel says, oh, yes, you can. I mean, here's a young man, three, four, five years old, that had already made up his mind. They might be doing that, but just because they're doing it, don't mean I've got to do it. He proves to us at a very young age that you can still live for God even in the midst of a bad environment. Now, I get it. I know it's bad. Your workplace is bad. Maybe some of you got a bad home life. Maybe when you left to come to church tonight, your husband just rared you out when you come to church, and he'll be waiting on you to walk back in. When you get home, he's going to rare you back out again. But I got good news for you. You can go and live for God in spite of all that. Amen. Samuel did, and if Samuel could do it, so can we. And then Samuel proved to us, as I said last week, that you can live for God even when you're outnumbered. I mean, let's face it, Samuel's outnumbered here in the midst of uh, Eli and Hophni and Phinehas. I mean, man, he's, out, he's outnumbered here, but even in the midst of all that, Samuel made up his mind he was going to live for God. And I said this last week. I'm going to say it one more time. I'm going to get off all that. But let me tell you this. If you don't learn to stand alone, you won't stand for long. I mean, buddy, we got a, we got a today in this, the place that we work at. I mean, let's face it. We're outnumbered in this world. I mean, we're already outnumbered. The world, the flesh, and the devil, it's already three to one. And then you add, add all the worldly crowd and the devil's crowd. We are highly outnumbered in this world. But can I tell you something? Go on and live for God anyway. You can do it. Samuel proves to us we can live for God even when we are outnumbered. But before we move on in the life of Samuel, I just want to stop tonight and talk briefly since we run across him. I want to talk a little bit about this man by the name of Eli. You see, just as we learn some lessons from the life of Samuel at a very young and a tender age, we also learn some lessons from the life of Eli, the high priest in Shiloh. Can I say it like this? He was probably the most sought-after preacher, prophet in his day. I mean, his calendar was probably booked. I mean, he stayed booked with meetings here and meetings there. I mean, man, he was on the go. When people thought about preaching and preachers in, in this day, I mean, the number one preacher uh, that everybody wanted to hear was this preacher, this prophet, this priest by the name of Eli. But let me tell you what we learned from his life. We learned from the life of Eli how to raise juvenile delinquents. Really. We learn from his life how to raise bad children. That's right. Now, let me say this before I even get started with this tonight. I get it. Not all parents who have children that go bad are responsible for the actions of their children. Now, let me say that one more time. I get it. If you are here tonight and you've done your best to raise your kids and your kids have gone bad, I get it. You're already eat up with enough guilt about that and I'm certainly not going to lay more guilt on you tonight. That's not the purpose of this message tonight. I, I, that's not what I'm up here. I don't talk about that at all. But I will tell you this. I think Eli made some mistake from the, for these boys. Eli was responsible for some, somewhat responsible for how these boys turned out to be so wicked and so ungodly. 
Now again, many parents put a good foundation underneath their children. And at the end of the day, guess what? All children have to make choices in life. All children have to make choices. And let's just face it, a lot of kids, especially in our day, are raised upright, and then they get out from under the, the, uh, the, the presence of a mom and a daddy and seem like they just go wild and they start making all kinds to, to, to the no fault of the parents, but to their own, uh, their own bad choices. They make bad decisions in their life and they wind up messing up their life and it's not their parents' fault, it's their fault. They got nobody to blame but themselves. Let's face it, that goes on a lot. But also, let's face this, our church rolls are littered with the names of church kids who have gone bad. Am I right? I mean, man, uh, we could think about this one and that one, and, and if I could just say this, Eli's boys were church kids that went bad. I mean, when you stop and think about these boys and how bad they went, you know, most of the time when church kids go bad, they quit church. At least, and I'm not saying this is good, but at least they get out of the house of God if they're going to live like that. And I'm not saying that's good, but I'm just saying that happens. But Eli's boys went bad and stayed in church. I mean, these boys were bad. Bad boys, bad boys, what you going to do? I mean, they wrote that song. They were bad boys. Look at verse 12. I told you last week they were infamous. Look at verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. That means they were sons of the devil. Old Testament word Belial. Another name for the devil. These boys were boys. They were sons of the devil. They were infamous. Number two, they were ignorant. Verse 12 says they knew not the Lord. They didn't know God. Even though they worked around holy things and they were familiar with holy things, the Bible makes it clear that they knew not the Lord. Isn't that sad? To be brought up in that kind of environment but never come to know the Lord. I wonder how many people sit in our services Sunday after Sunday and they've been brought up around holy things, they've been brought up in the house of God, but they knew not, they know not the Lord. They were infamous. They were ignorant. Look down at verse 16. They were intimidating. Down in verse 16, the Bible said that they would take offerings by force. If people didn't give them what they wanted, the Bible said then they would take it by force. They were intimidated. They intimidated people who came to the house of God. Verse 22, they were immoral. Look again at verse 22. The Bible said that they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Can you imagine? I mean, such goings on right that, like that right there around the house of God. These boys would take those ladies who no doubt came to maybe work around the house of God and they committed immorality with them. They were immoral. And then if you want to look down at verse 24, they were infectious. The Bible said in verse 24 that they make the Lord's people to transgress. So now look at me. Here's a man that represents God but here's a man whose boys resemble the devil. Now, how do you represent God and raise children that resemble the devil? How does that happen? How do babies go bad? How do boys go bad? And I think all of us in here understand that the task of child rearing is twofold. There's the task of bringing the child into the world, and then there's the task of bringing the child up in the world. Now that first one lasts only a few hours. 
for us men. It's tough on us men when you ladies have those babies. We sweat. It's hard on us. And our feelings get hurt. It's tough bringing, bringing a child into the world lasts a few hours. Bringing a child up in the world lasts for a lifetime. So how did these boys go bad? How can you raise, as, how can you represent God and raise kids that resembles the devil? Well, I want to show you, I just picked them out of this chapter, but I'm going to give you three things tonight that I think Eli did wrong. And by the way, you say, preacher, it's just your opinion. No, I want to tell you what the Bible said. All right? Let's see if we can't get into this tonight. How do you raise juvenile delinquents? Cain and, uh, or uh, Adam and Eve raised Cain. So how can you raise Cain? Zach Cain. How could, I'm kidding. Let's look at this together. First of all, I want you to look at verse 29. How do you raise bad boys? Number one, Eli's priorities were wrong. His priorities were wrong. Now, before I read you just a statement that's made in verse number 29, I want to say this. I don't think Eli, when I say his priorities was wrong, I don't think he wasn't doing his job as the priest there in Shiloh. I think he did. I think he was very busy around the house of the Lord. I think that, oh, Eli was, man, he, he put uh, the things of God as far as, you know, working and doing what he was supposed to do. I think he dotted every I, and I think he crossed every T. But I want to show you a statement that's made in verse 29 that really speaks volumes about where Eli was. And the statement is made kind of right in the middle of the verse, and it says this, that, 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 that Eli honored his sons above God. He honored his son. Now we know that, that because of all that was going on in the house of God, that, that God sent a nameless prophet over there to preach to Eli and to rebuke him for what was happening in his own family. We don't know the man's name, but if you look there at verse 27, the Bible said there came a man of God unto Eli. Man, he had a message. He had a, well, I'll tell you what, the, pre, the preacher had a, the prophet had a message for the priest. And I mean, he was rebuking Eli because Eli was letting all his boys, letting these things go on right there in the house of God. And one of the accusations that God made against Eli through this nameless prophet was this, Eli, your problem is you're putting those boys before you put me. You're honoring them boys before you honor me. That's the reason I'm saying, man, let's face it, his priorities were wrong. He put his boys before he put his God. You know, that happens many times, does it not? Parents have children, and then in their attempts, our attempts to love our kids and make our kids happy, we start putting our children before the Lord. We start putting the, our children before God. Instead of worshiping the God that gave us our children, we reverse the order and start worshiping the children that God gave us. And many times, to our own detriment, our priorities get out of whack. Our priorities get all mixed up. And I see, I see this happen so many times in the lives of people. Now, let me stop and say before I even get into what I'm going to say about this, I'm not saying don't let your kids do stuff. I think you ought to let your kids do stuff. I think you ought to support them as much as you possibly can. I am for all that. But when the stuff that you let your kids do starts coming before you and your relationship to God, that's when we mess up. 
I mean, when we start, the stuff that we let our kids do, the extracurricular stuff, when, when that starts coming in between our relationship to God and our faithfulness to the house of God, man, our priorities get mixed up. We start honoring our kids before we honor the Lord. Now, I'll tell you something. Again, I'm not against it. I'm not against playing ball. I'm not against uh, having fun. I'm not against, well, I'm pretty much against everything. I do, I do uh, chew an occasional piece of bubble gum, read a comic book once in a while. But you know something? Truth of the matter is a lot of times if we're not careful, stuff like travel ball. Now, there's nothing wrong with letting your kids play Little League or whatever, uh, volleyball or whatever you do, soccer. I mean, if you want to do all that, that's up to you. I get that. Let them do it. Let them have fun. Let them have a good childhood. But when we start letting that come in between our faithfulness to, to God and the house of God, that's when we start honoring our kids above our heavenly Father. How many people, man, they'll run all over the country every weekend. Boy, they'll carry little Johnny to here and to there, and they'll spend money for motels. And Man, they won't come to the house of God, but Johnny's got to go play ball. You know why? Because he's going to grow up and be the next Johnny Bench. He's going to be the next Mickey Mantle. He's going to be the next Michael Jordan. He's going to be the next, um, uh, uh, oh, my goodness, uh, Tom Brady. He's going to be the next Gronk. I mean, he is, he's headed to the big leagues. Can I tell you something? That ain't going to happen. Now, I know it can. I get it. But can I tell you something? Let's just face it. 9.9 times out of 10, they're going to grow up and drive a garbage truck. They're going to grow up, work in an office. I know we have high aspirations. We think our boy's the next Michael Jordan. We think our, our daughter's the next Betty Crocker or whoever, whatever girls do. I don't know what girls do, but whatever they do. We think our, kid, our boy's going to grow up. He's the next star NFL quarterback. But you know the truth of the matter is most of the time that's, that's not going to pan out. But we spend all that time, all those weekends, running here, running there, staying in motels, going to ball games all day long, come home Sunday night, tired to death, got to get up Monday morning, head back up to the house of God. I'm just saying, hear me and hear me well, you're honoring your kids before you God when you do that. And you can't help but watch them go down the tubes when that happens. I don't know too many people, I don't know too many people that have done that, that have raised kids that successfully and victoriously live for God. I don't know it. I remember when I was growing up, didn't have Little League on Wednesday night. It was church night. Can I have an amen? I remember when I was growing up, man, they didn't play ball on Sunday. No, sir. That's the Lord's day. Don't play ball on Sunday. People go to church on Sunday. That's no longer the case. Man, they play now. In fact, I think they schedule ball games just so they can get in church time. They practice on Wednesday night. They play ball on Sunday. And when we, when we put our kids and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take you. We're going to miss church. I think what we're doing is we're honoring our kids above we're honor, before we're honoring God. And when that happens, guess what? We may wind up losing our kids. We're teaching them, hey, that's more important than worshiping God is. That's more important than honoring God and being faithful to God. And I'm here to tell you nine times out of ten, they ain't going to play Major League Baseball. They ain't going to play uh, NFL football. They're going to grow up 
get a job, raise a family, and the most important thing we can ever teach our kids is let's put God first in our life. Let's honor the Lord. Let's keep God first and foremost because I'm here to tell you, man, our kids need to see a mama and a daddy that puts God first in their life. And I think maybe one of the reasons that those boys went bad is because Eli honored those boys before he honored the Lord. Amen. And you're welcome. So I preach this on Sunday morning. Let's just close it. Let's just forget about it. Let's just go home. I'm going to preach this on Sunday morning. No, I'm kidding. His priorities were wrong. He honored his kids above his gods. Can I tell you this? Don't be mad at me. But can I tell you what little Susie needs in a mama? She don't need a best friend. Your kids don't need you to be their best friend. They got plenty of other people out here to be their best friend. What they need is a mom and a daddy that'll point them in the right direction. A mom and daddy that love them enough to look at them and say no to them once in a while. A mom and a daddy that's more interested in raising somebody that loves God than they're, they're, they're interested in raising somebody to be their best friend. Amen. Don't, don't get your priorities mixed up. Eli honored his boys before he honored God, and he wound up losing them. His priorities were wrong. I thought about this, number two. Now, really, hang on here. Not only were his priorities wrong, but number two, his punishment was weak. <laughs> You're welcome. His punishment was weak. Now, I want you to look back at verse number 22, and with, uh, there, there's no doubt that Eli knew what them boys were doing. No doubt. I think people went to Eli and complained about them boys. I think maybe somebody went to him and said, Eli, you're not going to believe this, but I brought my sacrifice to the Lord, and your boys intercepted me, interrupted me, and threatened to beat me up if I didn't give them the, the shoulder off my sacrifice. Maybe somebody else went to Eli and said, I, man, I don't know about you, but I seen your boys up here at the hellhole the other night. I mean, boy, Eli, what's going on? Eli, you're not going to believe this. But I heard that your boys were sleeping with some of the women that work right here in the house of God. I think Eli knew about all that. People no doubt complained to him about uh, how they were being treated and what they saw going on right there in the house of God. He heard about all these boys were doing. He heard about all their wickedness that they were involved in. But if you'll notice in verse 22, all he does is just verbally rebuke them. Look at verse 22. Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto, unto all Israel, and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of, of the congregation. And then the Bible said a little bit later in this chapter that Eli spoke to them about it. Uh, verse 25, If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him, but if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Uh, for them? Notwithstanding, they hearken not to the voice of their father. They wouldn't listen. I mean, Eli talked to them about it. He spoke to them about it. And by the way, sometimes talking to your kids does help them. Sometimes they do get it. Sometimes it does reach to them. You can set them down and try to reason with them. Maybe just write a piece of paper and say, okay, let's look at what you're about to do. Now, here's the pros of it. Here's the cons of it. I just want to reason with you now. I want to talk to you about it. And sometimes when they receive verbal rebuke, thank God for it. Just leave it there. But there's other times when talking... It's just not enough. You know, God deals with his children like that, doesn't he? Can I show you a verse? Look up on the screens. Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. God said this, as many as I, what? As many as I love. What did God say? I rebuke. 
In other words, God said, I just want to tell you, every once in a while, one of my children start messing up. I'm going to sit them down. I'm going to rebuke them real good. I'm going to verbally rebuke them for what they're doing. Has God ever rebuked you before? Boy, he has me. I mean, through a testimony, through a message, maybe through a song, maybe somebody just come to you out of concern. I mean, boy, God spoke to me. God verbally, he rebuked me. He said, hey, this ought not be going on in your life. And if I listen to it, great. And if you listen to it, wonderful. But if you don't listen to it, God says, okay, as many as I love, I rebuke verbally. But if that don't work, the rest of the verse says this. As many as I love, I rebuke. And what's the next word? God said, if speaking don't work, spanking will. Amen. If speaking don't work, then spanking will. You know, the devil has done a great job today convincing us that our children will love us more and respect us better if we'll just let them do their own thing. If we'll just let them make their own decisions, they'll love us and they'll respect us more. He whispers in our ears, don't you force your values upon your kids. Let them get their own convictions. Let them develop their own standards. Don't push yours down their throat. But can I tell you what the Bible said about the devil? The Bible said the devil is a liar and the father of all lies. Every child needs some discipline in their life. Every child needs some rules to live by. It's amazing to me how people get a dog and they'll take that dog to discipline school and then they'll let their kids go undisciplined and then at night they'll take the dog out back, chain him up and let the kids run free. It's crazy. Kids, children need discipline. I'll remind you, God had two children, Adam and Eve. God placed them in a perfect environment. But God had some rules for them to live by. That one rule that God had, that, hey, that tree right there, this one, no, that one. That one, yes, the tree of knowledge of good and of evil. God said, don't touch it, don't eat of it. No, God said, don't eat of it. And the day that you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. And when they broke that rule, guess what? God stepped in and God brought discipline against them. And by the way, if God did that to his children, you and I are no better than God is. Certainly not any better than God is. And we ought to step in and discipline our kids. I'll tell you something tonight. Discipline is not the opposite of love. Discipline is the, rebuke of, is the, is the result of love. I butchered that, so let me say it again. Discipline is not the opposite of love. Discipline is the result of love. Look at that verse again. God said this, as many as I hate, I rebuke and chasten. And is that what your Bible said? No, sir. Unless you got one of them funky Bibles, it might say that. But the King James says this, as many as I love. Discipline, listen, discipline's not the opposite of love. Discipline is the result of love. God, I'm not, by the way, I'm not talking about child abuse. God have any mercy on anybody. God don't have mercy on them. Take them out back and beat the fire out of them, God. That wants to abuse a little child. Burn a child with a cigarette or beat them, beat them unmercifully. God have mercy on somebody like that. I'm not even talking about that, but I'm talking about just giving your kids some discipline. I heard about this one woman. She's having trouble with her boy, and she went to her pastor. She said, Pastor, I need to talk to you. I'm really feeling guilty about something. He said, well, ma'am. He said, well, what's wrong? She said, well, she said, the other day, she said, I fixed my boy a bowl of soup and I called him to come down and eat it and he didn't come. And she said, so I, I warmed it up again 
And I called him a second time, and he still didn't come. She said, well, I warmed it up a third time, and I called him, and he still didn't come. She said, preacher, to make a long story short, I warmed that bowl of soup ten times and called him. And finally, on the tenth call, he finally came, and she said, when he came down, she said, I lost it. She said, I screamed and I hollered, and she said, I just feel so bad. He, she said, what in the world am I doing wrong? And the preacher said, sounds like to me you're warming the wrong thing. You're welcome. I'm telling you, kids need discipline. It's amazing how everything in our homes are controlled by switches, except the children. Here's what the Bible said about it. Look right here. The rod and reproof do what? They give wisdom. But a child left to himself, a child left to make his own choices. Somebody said, well, I don't make my kids come to church. I'm going to let them decide on their own. Well, you make them take a bath, don't you? Let them go without a bath six months. You'll make them take a bath. You make them go to school, don't you? Yeah. A child left to himself does what? what? What these boys did to Eli brought them shame. Look at this verse. The Bible said this. He that spareth his rod hateth his son. The Bible said if you don't love your kids, you don't spank them. But if you do love them, you will spank them. He that spareth his rod, uh, spareth his rod hateth his son. But he that loveth him chasteneth him be times while there's time. Look at this verse, Proverbs twenty-two, fifteen. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Hey, you don't have to teach a child wrong. Man, it's bred within them. You say, where'd they get that from you? I heard about this little boy went to the, to the zoo one time, and he, he was walking through there, and he said, hey, Mama, look at there. He said, skunks. She said, how'd you know they was, how'd you know they were skunks? He said, because their mom and daddies were skunks. Whatever. Foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. They're born with a sin nature. You don't have to teach a child to lie. They come into the world knowing that. The Bible said they come forth from the womb speaking lies, Psalms 55. I mean, children, man, you don't have to teach them to do wrong. You got to teach them to do right. Children lie to you. You ever had your child bring them home? You lay them down, cut the light, you rock them, you rock them six hours, finally think you got them off to sleep, carry them up to the bed, cut the light out, tiptoe out. You can get to the bottom of the stairs, they're screaming like, oh God, if you don't get in here, I'm going to die. I'm not going to live. You go in there and cut the light on, they say, <laughs> they're lying to you, man. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. But the Bible said this, the rod of correction will drive it from him. Amen. Look at this verse. The Bible said this, withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with a rod, and by the way, I'm not talking about abuse, but discipline. If thou beatest with the rod, he, he won't die. He'll scream. I used to scream when my daddy, I thought I was going to die, but when my daddy had, I mean, good. And I sound like when he pulled his bed out, it sounded like a cranking a push mower. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I was dancing around, hollering, oh, God, have mercy. Oh, Jesus, be merciful to me, a sinner. I didn't die. It helped me. Have I got another verse? Look at that one. Thou shalt beat him with a rod. Shout, deliver his soul from hell. Now, you know, I'm, not, I'm not talking about, hey, beat them, man. It saves them. But I tell you what, it points them in the right direction. Amen. Look over chapter 3, verse 13. I'll wrap this point up and we'll quit. Look at verse 13. God said this, I told him that I'll judge his house forever for the iniquity uh, which he knoweth. 
because his sons made themselves vile. And Eli, they strained them not. His priorities were wrong. His punishment was weak. Speak to them. But sometimes speaking don't get the job done. Sometimes you have to take it a step farther. So his priorities were wrong. His punishment was weak. And I want to close with this one. His practice was worldly. Look again at verse 29. It seems like, of course, we knew that Eli knew all that was going on. But if you look back in chapter 2, verse 29, it seems like to me that Eli was partaking in their sin. Because God said this, you honor your sons above me to make, what's the next word? Yourselves fat. God said, hey, it's not just them taking these offerings to make themselves fat. God said, it sounds, or verse number 29, God said, hey, these boys are doing it and it's making yourselves. You included, Eli. You know what's happening, but you're just going along with it. I mean, I'm sure he didn't go along with the immorality part, but I think he did like getting that extra chicken breast once in a while. I think he did like that extra shoulder, that tenderloin once in a while. I mean, man, he was just going along. Maybe, maybe one of the reasons his son didn't listen to, uh, to his rebuke simply because he was partaking with them in their sin. Nothing will cause a child to disrespect the Lord and the holy things of God anymore than seeing the life of a parent that lived one way at church and another way at home. It's not real to them. I heard about this man that was teaching a, a Sunday school class. His little boy was in it. It was just a little boy's class. And he was teaching this class. And uh, he said, uh, before y'all leave, he said, I want to ask you, he said, why do y'all think people call me a Christian? And none of them said anything. He said, I said, why do y'all think people call me, uh, call me a Christian? His little boy raised his hand. He said, okay, uh, son, why do you think people call He said, daddy, probably because they don't know you. <laughs> Isn't that pitiful? Do people that know you know that you know God? Do the people in your, in your family, it's in your family? I heard about this one boy. They, they left church, got in the car. I mean, he was crying hysterically. And his daddy said, what's wrong? He couldn't got, quit crying. He had snubs. He was crying over and over again. His daddy finally said, look, pulled the car. over. said, man, what is wrong? He said, he said, daddy, he said, the preacher said this morning that all children need to be raised in a Christian home. And he said, I want to stay with you and mama. hey, we can't expect our kids to do any better than we do in front of them. If you come over here and sing how you love Jesus and go home and cuss their mama, I don't blame them for not respecting holy things of God. If you come over here and stand up and sing the songs of Zion and go home and drink your Budweiser's in front of them, and they know they're in the refrigerator, they see them back there behind the, the Sunny D, Stuck back there in the back behind the bacon grease that you save when you fry your bacon for, for fried potatoes and onions. You pour them on your, on your greens with your cornbread. They see it. They know. No wonder they don't respect anything around here. They don't think it's real. You know why? It ain't real to you. And I'm closing, but maybe one of the reasons Eli lost his boys is because he's going right along with their sins. He was partaking in their sins. I heard this story, I read this story, supposedly a true story about these two boys. And hear me, hear me well. It's two boys, and it's back years ago, and, and a dog came up to their house one day. And boy, they liked that dog. They was, that dog would run and play with them, and, 
Then they had a good time, so as it started to get dark, they went to their daddy, and their daddy was a preacher. And they said, Daddy, can we keep this dog? And he said, well, uh, fine with me if you want to keep it. So they kept it. And they played with that dog. It wasn't long till they found out that that dog belonged to a new neighbor that had moved into town. And uh, so uh, those boys got some black shoe polish. That dog had a white streak on his tail that you could identify it with. They got some black shoe polish and rubbed it on his tail to make it look like his, his whole tail was black. And then they went and told their daddy about it. Well, it wasn't long until there come a rap on the preacher's door. And the man comes and said, uh, he said, the preacher, he said, I'm new to the area here. And he said, it's nice to meet you. But he said, I've, I've lost my dog. And the man said, well, what kind of dog you got? He said, well, it's a black, it's a, it's a black dog. But it has got a white streak going right down his tail. He said, it's easy to know. And the old dog was wagging his tail trying to get at that man. And the preacher looked at him and said, well, there ain't no dog around here with no white streak on his tail. He said, you can see that one's got a black streak on his tail where well, them boys had blacked it out. And he shut the door and man went on his way. And them two boys laughed about that for the rest of their life, about their preacher daddy lying for them. You probably wouldn't know the daddy's name, but you'll know the boy's name, Frank and Jesse James. Two of the most notorious outlaws this country's ever known. And maybe one of the reasons they turned out like they did is because they had a daddy that lied for them. Well, I'll tell you what, man, we better, it's, this thing of raising kids is, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a big responsibility. So let's just make sure we got priorities. God first, mama second, kids next. Some of us love our kids more than we love our spouses. That's the reason when the, the kids go off and fly off and go somewhere else and you and mama's left there in the house, y'all ain't got nothing to talk about wind up getting a divorce. You better love your spouse more than you love your kids. Can I have an amen? Kids are going to leave one of these days. <laughs> it's just going to be you and him left. <laughs> you better have a little bit more about you than just uh, uh, all you talk about is your kids. I better get off of this because I'm messing up now. Priorities is wrong. Punishment was weak. Man, his, whatever I said, last of all, it was true too. Practice was worth. Let's pray. Father.